This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The second reading from the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12. In the midst of hardship and even discipline from the Lord, fix your eyes on Jesus. This portion of Scripture is the basis for the sermon today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. If everything in your life happened exactly the way you wanted, how bad would your life be? I'll say that again so you can think about it. If everything in your life happened exactly the way you wanted, how bad would your life be? Now, you might be thinking, well, if everything happened how I wanted, why would that be bad? I mean, there would be no war in Ukraine anymore. State fair would be a year-long event, and cream puffs would have no ill effect on my health. Gas would be under $1 a gallon, and the stock market would be stable, and Giannis would never miss a free throw, and, and Josh Hader would still be on the Brewers. How could any of these things be bad? Well, maybe those are extreme examples. 
But if you had to think about your dream life and living, what would that look like? Maybe something like this. You never have to worry about money. You never have to worry about job security or inflation or the economy. You would never have to worry about an awkward family reunion because everyone got along just fine. Everyone in your family, in fact, had healthy, long-lived lives. Your children and grandchildren grow up to have successful, healthy lives, and you live long enough to see it. And in fact, someday, someday you relax and sit on a beach sipping a Mai Tai, enjoying retirement. What's so bad about that? Well, I know my own heart. And I know the evil that lurks inside. I know the pride and the greed and the selfishness. If everything in life happened exactly the way I wanted, I know how fast I would make life all about me. Almost like Aladdin with a magic lamp. I would want to pursue everything that has to do with mansions and money and lifestyles and luxuries that are luxurious. I would want life to be simple and, and easy and cozy. I would really work toward everything in life and everything I do and everything I have to create some kind of ideal heaven here on earth. But if I had what I think is heaven here on earth, what need would I have for God and his heaven? What would my life be like? What kind of person would I become? What would my faith be like? If everything happened exactly the way I wanted, how bad would my life be? Not from a worldly perspective, but spiritually speaking. Today is one of those days that we find ourselves caught in a crossroads as sinner saints in God's kingdom. We are God's holy people, dearly loved, bought back by our Savior Jesus Christ, dear children of God, but at the same time, we are also sinners who battle every day with a sinful nature down deep inside. And many times we find ourselves caught at a crossroads in this epic tug of war, pulled in opposite directions, and today in worship is one of those days. On the one hand, we're here to be fed by the Word of God. We are here to worship Jesus and praise Jesus, to listen to Jesus. But on the other hand, I'm not so sure I like what Jesus has to say today. Were you paying attention in the first lesson with Jeremiah the prophet, how God was speaking through Jeremiah, how he was going to expose all those false, lying prophets of his time we have many of those today as well. God declared how his word is like fire. His word is like a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces. I'm not so sure I want to be wielding the word of God as a weapon in spiritual warfare with the world, combating all kinds of enemies and evil. And then we heard the words of Jesus himself in the gospel, and Jesus declared, in fact, he did not come to bring peace and paradise on earth, but division and opposition, and not just with those people out there, but even in families, that father would be against son and mother against daughter and vice versa, as people stand on opposite sides of the truth. 
If you've been tracking along, we, we have this worship series at Grace that we've been following on focused living. And today is yet another reminder in our focused living that Christian life is not going to be all cupcakes and frosting and perpetual smiley face emojis. Jesus is not just our magic genie in a bottle. But rather we are reminded once again today that life as a Christian, life as one who follows Christ and his cross, will often involve our own crosses that we carry. And I'm not so sure what to make of that. These are the kinds of things that make me frustrated in life. These are the kinds of situations that that swirl all kinds of doubts and questions in my mind. These are the kinds of things that make people turn to despair, even unbelief. And so what are we to do? Well, that's where the second reading this morning fits perfectly like a piece of the worship puzzle today. Whereas the first reading from Jeremiah and the words of Jesus in the gospel remind us of the opposition, the division, the fiery power of God's word, the persecution we'll face, hanging in the balances, teetering between is the second reading from Hebrews, a message to give us encouragement and hope and strength. There in that second reading, the the writer, an unknown writer, writes to these Hebrews, these early Hebrew Christians who are suffering and facing persecution, and he reminds them of the joy of the cross, the joy of Jesus' cross, and the joy of our crosses too. I would suppose that the words joy and cross aren't exactly words that people think go together like peanut butter and jelly, or state fair and calories, or bacon and, well, anything. But joy and and cross do go together in the scriptures. The Apostle Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians. He talks about the foolishness of the cross. To the world and its wisdom, the cross seems like utter foolishness, but there in the cross, God reveals his wisdom. And this writer speaks to that too as he points us to Jesus. I'm going to jump to verse 2 here as he points us to Jesus, whom he calls the pioneer and perfecter of faith. There's lots of different ways you can translate that little phrase, pioneer and perfecter, the author of our salvation. Really, it means that Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the start and the finish, the completer. He's the everything when it comes to our faith and our salvation. The one we put our hope in, the one we stand on. And why is that? He continues to say this. For the joy set before him He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you were Jesus and you knew what was coming, how fast would you run in the other direction? If you knew the pain and the torture and the bloodshed and the crown of thorns and the nails and the weight of sin and guilt and the agony of hell that you endure, how fast would you run away from that? And yet this writer to the Hebrews points us to Jesus who patiently endured 
this hardship. He endured the cross, scorning, almost ignoring or making nothing of the shame of hanging on a tree and carrying the sin and guilt of the world. Instead of running away from the cross, Jesus humbly ran to the cross. And why would he do such a thing? The writer again said, for the joy set before him. Certainly there's joy in obeying his father. Certainly joy in being the savior and lord of all, sitting down at the glorious right hand of God. But understand this too. The joy of Jesus' cross is also you. For the joy of you, Jesus took on human flesh to become an obedient servant, servant to his Father's will. For the joy of you, Jesus came to live as you could not and would not. For the joy of you, Jesus became obedient even to death on a cross to take on selflessly all your selfish sins. For you and for the joy of you, Jesus suffered hell so that you never would. It's for the joy of giving you life instead of death, the joy of giving you life with him eternally in heaven. That's the joy of the cross for Jesus. To the world, the cross seems like utter foolishness, but there in the cross, we see the wisdom of God because there in the cross, we see the heart of our Father opened up in joy as he sacrifices his son to have other sons and daughters. Us. And just as Jesus found joy in the cross that he would bear, so also can we find joy in the crosses that we bear. In fact, it's the joy of Jesus and his cross that helps us to find joy in our daily crosses. And these words from Hebrews almost serve as a step-by-step checklist of how you can find strength, comfort, and encouragement to endure the daily crosses of life. So I'll go back to verse 1. We'll kind of skim through some of these verses. There's a lot to consider. And look at the encouragement that we have. Starting at verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He starts off by talking about this cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by. Really, he's pointing back at the previous chapter where he writes about the heroes of faith. People like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, so many great men and women of faith who all walked by faith on their marathon journey in the race that they ran. They certainly tripped and stumbled along the way in sin, but they walked by faith in God's forgiveness. They walked by faith and confidence in God's love and promises. They faced pressure. They faced persecution and opposition just as we do, but by faith they stood on God's plan and purposes for their lives. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we too can stand by faith. 
And so let's throw off everything that entangles us. Let's get rid of all the sin that ensnares us is the encouragement here. You could imagine maybe trying to run a marathon. Well, I I can't imagine trying to run a marathon, but some can. You can imagine running a race at least and trying to wear a snowsuit while doing so. Or running the 300-meter hurdles perhaps at a track meet and, and looking in the stands while you're running. Well, that would be an epic failure. You'd fall and never cross the finish line. Let, let's get rid of the sin and the worldly things that entangle and ensnare us. Instead, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and the joy of his cross and our salvation. Let's fix our eyes on the finish line, the prize that he's already won for us. Because with that confidence in Christ, we gain confidence in our crosses. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus who faced opposition too but overcame. Through him you can find strength to do the same. Will it be hard? Will it be difficult and tough? Absolutely. And yet we can still find joy in the crosses that we bear because of how God works in our lives. So I'm going to jump to verse 6. He talks more about how God works so powerfully in our lives. He quotes from Proverbs. He says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And going into verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Now, this is another concept that seems like utter foolishness to the world. How could hardship be good? How can Christianity make sense that bad things would be something we treasure? This is where we walk by faith again. And we walk by faith understanding that this word discipline, you see the word disciple in it. In the original language, really, it means teaching. And so by faith, we understand that just as a good parent actually disciplines their children in love and to teach, so our Heavenly Father does for us. Here's what it says in verse 10. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. That's His goal for our lives. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained for it. No Hardship, no sickness, no suffering, no persecution, no opposition ever seems good or fun at the time. It's painful. And yet we trust in God's plans and goodwill for our lives. We trust that God uses those things to produce a harvest of righteousness in, it, in us. We trust that God has a plan of us, as he says, sharing in his holiness, living with him now, but finally in heaven forever. And sometimes, sometimes God needs to use hardship to remind us of that. So, for example, do you know what the date was of one of those, the most highly attended church services in recent American history? September 16th, 2001, the first Sunday after 9-11. So many thousands of people tragically died because of evil and enemies. And yet we have a God who can bring good out of evil. We might ask the question, how many tens 
of thousands, perhaps even millions, heard the word of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ after that. In fact, I had a member of my church in Florida. His name was Artie. He was from Brooklyn, and Artie actually became a Christian right after 9-11 when he found out that his son and daughter-in-law were not in the Twin Towers like they were supposed to be that day. I could tell you of little Case who went to heaven way too early at the age of four because of a cancerous brain tumor. But I could also tell you of the three or four families who came to church for the very first time at his funeral and joined our church shortly after that. I could tell you about Sandy who lived some six decades of weather-worn life and faith with difficulty and trouble one after another, including the tragic loss of her 26-year-old daughter. But week after week, Sandy runs with perseverance as she runs to church almost without fail because she knows how desperately she needs to fix her eyes on Jesus. What have you suffered What have you endured? What opposition have you faced? What crosses do you bear? If everything in your life went exactly the way you wanted, how bad would your life be? If you lived on Easy Street, where where would your faith be? Where would you be? What choices would you have made? This is how we walk by faith when we understand that through the fire, God refines us into precious metals like gold and silver, that he molds and shapes us like precious pottery and clay, that we walk by faith and know that through hardship, God teaches us to turn to him, to rely on him, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on heaven, not here. By faith, we can join the Apostle Paul to say, we know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What a God we have, a God who can bring good out of evil, a God who can bring triumph out of tragedy, a God who can bring life out of death. And if ever, if ever you question that in your life, then just run right to Calvary. Because there you will see the joy of God's salvation plan for you and the joy of the cross. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.